Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Saturday Morning Show. Orion Samuelson here with you for our weekly get-together on WGN Radio Chicago. Lots of things to talk about. We've got a hurricane that's coming out of the Atlantic, and we've got COVID-19, which seems to be with us forever. And we're also looking at some unusual packages coming to home addresses in America that uh, people are wondering about what do we do because we're getting packets of seed that we didn't order and it's finding our mailbox and our address. So we're going to talk about what you should do with those packets of seed that are arriving unannounced without ordering and what do you do with them we'll talk to you about that but we're at 10 minutes after five o'clock and we have jim fazell standing by because saturday morning time to check up on the lawns and the gardens and the man to do that is the man who is our ornamental uh, lawn and garden person jim fazell who, uh, uh, well, let me see, about four decades has been sharing with us his expertise to uh, give you some advice on what to do with the uh, gardens and the lawns and the trees and when to water and when not to water. So uh, stay with us for that because Jim Fazell will be coming on when we continue here on the Saturday Morning Show. Good morning. We're coming your way again with our weekly visit with Jim Fazell, our specialist in ornamental horticulture here on the Saturday morning show. So uh, where do you want to start this morning, Jim? You know, we've had a little bit of rain this week. Uh, I had about an inch and three quarters, which we really needed. It was dry. But, you know, the day after that, Jane and I were out doing our normal walking. And what do you think we found? People watering their lawns <laughs> after we've had that much rain. And I thought we better talk about water a little bit. You know, uh, we're blessed to have abundant water in this part of the country. Tap water here in the city of Chicago and surrounding suburbs, courtesy of Lake Michigan. Uh, we don't even stop to think about the fact that this is really, we're really honored to be able to do that. Now, we have some folks out in the, in the upstate or downstate part of Illinois who aren't quite as fortunate. They're on wells, and there are times a year when they worry about the depth of those wells. In fact, we have friends that are on a well that when things get really dry, they go out and measure how far their well, water uh, level has dropped in their well. Uh, sometimes there have been people, I remember 1988, where people actually went out and got bottled water to drink because there wasn't enough water in the, in the well to worry about it, and they wanted to save that for things like taking a bath. So we're very fortunate that we do have the water here. Now, if you've ever lived in an area where there isn't water, or where water is uh, so, so short of supply that you turn the tap on and no water comes out, I've been there, so I know what it's like. And how valuable is water in those areas? Well, when I lived out there in the West, uh, uh, the state decided that uh, there was so much in interference with people's water rights that we all had to reapply for our water rights. Actually, where we were, we had uh, 10 acres of greenhouse, takes a lot of water. We had to buy water from Left Hand Canyon Water Company. We had a well that pumped into the big tanks. We also captured drainage water from an irrigation ditch that ran near our property. And believe it or not, we were glad to get the water that seeped out of that thing into our property, and we captured it and put it in the water tank, too. Now, of course, we couldn't drink that water, so we had to buy drinking water. 
Another thing that happened uh, at that time was an attempt by the western states to get their fists on this Great Lakes water that we have here through Minnesota and Michigan. Uh, And the the strange thing about it is it wouldn't have had to take any infrastructure to do it because there are pipelines that run between the state of Colorado, for instance, and the state of Illinois, which carry oil, gas, so forth, this direction. Well, all you have to do is turn those things around and run water the other direction, and you've got water. So they could use these same pipelines to do that, and they were anxious to do that. And the only thing that saved us was was Canada and their Joint Commission on Water, which said, no, no, no. You guys out there aren't going to do it. It's going to go to the states that are adjoining and the provinces adjoining the Great Lakes. That's it. Fortunately, that saved us, because if we really tried to supply a lot of these western states, we'd be in the same situation some of the far west states are, where the Colorado River dries up before it gets to, to the uh, Gulf of California down in, in Mexico. There's no water left to go down there. So we are really, really fortunate here. Uh, and we don't want to waste this stuff. Uh, I mentioned these people watering after we had an inch, an inch and a half of rain. Uh, this is silly. First of all, the grass doesn't need it. It can hurt the grass, especially hurt the trees that are planted in the lawns. Uh, and we see people watering every day. Every day, I had a call from some folks that said, uh, "We our grass is dying out here, and we water it." So I went out and got out of my car to walk into the lawn. And lo and behold, I sank in, and I said, "What are you doing?" They said, "Well, we're in a drought, so we're watering every day." Well, the grass wasn't in a drought. <laughs> The area was in a drought, but you have to use your sense when you're doing this. Um, Automatic irrigation systems are a danger, as a matter of fact, because it's so easy to use these things that people just turn them on and let them run. They don't worry about it. They don't have to get out and set up the sprinkler. They don't have to get up early in the morning to put the water on because they have a watering restriction. So they're too easy to use. They really need to be used properly. You need to decide when the grass or trees or bushes or whatever you're trying to grow needs water, need water. Then you set the timer to go on and run through its cycle. Then you turn the timer off, turn the water off, until the, the grass or the garden needs water again. Then you turn it back on and let it run through one cycle. This might be once a week. It might be once in 10 days. And you don't want to put down more water uh, if you've already had an inch of water during that week. You don't want to put down any water more water. So automatic sprinklers can, sprinklers can be a real problem. Proper watering says put down one inch of water a week or so, every week or so if the grass begins to wilt or your flowers wilt in your garden. Uh, measure the water. Put a coffee can out there and, and see how much water actually goes down with your sprinkler system. Uh, it needs to put down an inch of water. Now, many of these timers on sprinkler systems that run every other day and so forth only put down a fourth of an inch, maybe even a half of an inch of water in some areas. You need to set that thing so it goes a longer time and puts down an inch of water each time. Then turn the water off. Frequent shallow watering promotes shallow roots. Then if you do get in a situation where you can't water, or we get into the wintertime when you don't water and we have a drought situation with no snow cover, you can have a lot of damage, not just to the grass, but the trees as well. And if you have trees growing in the lawn that's overwatered, those trees are going to have very shallow root systems, which could be easily injured if we get into an open, dry winter. And we've done that in the past. 
Uh, we had a situation where a bunch of trees on some property down in the city of Chicago began to die, a whole area of them, and we went down to look, and all the roots were dead. We discovered that they ran a sprinkler system every day, as I mentioned, and the roots on these big trees were only no more than six inches deep. They had frozen and died, killed the trees. So be careful. Proper watering is important. Now, I mentioned uh, when we started, before we started, Orin, that I had a couple of questions from listeners. Uh, one okay. said that his his neighbors, uh, his neighbor kids planted tall sunflowers along the back of his garden. He gave them room to do that, and they're tall and blooming. They're home from school and want to have some fun. So he's noticed that there's some big pieces out eaten out of the leaves. He wanted to know what eats sunflowers. He went out on a midnight safari because he's heard us talk about that, and all he saw were these big June bugs. That's what's eating them. Big June bugs eat at night. You don't see them unless you go out on the safari. And the surprise, if you don't do that, is you get out in the morning and you go out and there's a big chunk eating out of the leaf. It doesn't just do that on, on uh, sunflowers. It does that on a lot of leaves. So if you have big June bugs eating or if you have holes like that in your leaves, go out on a midnight safari, take your flashlight out and see what's eating on them. And, and I would think at this time of year you're probably going to find these big inch, inch and a half or three-quarter inch or inch long um, June bugs is what they are. They look like the adult grubs that we normally have in our lawns or do get out of our lawns or look like a, a brown Japanese beetle. Which brings up the next question. Uh, the, quest, uh, the, the neighbor said, at the risk of starting something, there's been very little bug damage or there have been very few bugs this summer so far. What's happening? Are the bugs getting this virus? I don't think they're getting this virus, but you know, it's very interesting. Uh, we've been able to sit out all year with no mosquito problems. We haven't had the normal gnat problems that we have. We haven't had a lot of flies. The garden hasn't had any aphids. I should knock on wood. Uh, we have not seen Japanese beetles. All these little creatures that we normally see this time of year are, are gone. Now, the only thing I can attribute that to would be uh, the weather over the last 12-month period. Probably uh, some of the weather that we had during the winter where we had very sudden cold snaps and uh, things that normally hibernate, hibernate under uh, snow cover didn't have that protection, so they were killed off. Uh, then this spring it was very wet, and many of these little insects that, that give us trouble are actually attacked by fungi, which kill them off. And then we had the dry spell, and of course if you don't have water, you don't have mosquitoes. So those are some things that could have could have uh, uh, added to that. But, you know, we can just thank our stars that we don't have them. We need to, to consider this uh, an unusual blessing because there's no reason to expect that it won't happen next year. Uh, and it's not reasonable to expect that later this year we may not see uh, uh, Japanese beetles. They could still come on. Um, fortunately, they have not. Right. Uh, I'm sure that out in the in the... Farm, farmlands that uh, the farmers are very glad to see that they don't have Japanese beetle affecting their corn this this year. So those are a couple of the questions. You know, we have um, just a couple of seconds left. Next uh, week is the beginning of, we'll be in the beginning of August, and that's the prime time to begin repairing lawns. I thought we'd approach that topic today, but I think we're going to run out of time before we can even do it. So next week we're going to talk about renovating your lawn, repairing lawn damage that's occurred because of the kind of weather we've had and uh, some of the damage that's occurred uh, from people playing out in the lawn home when they normally wouldn't have been. So there's a lot of been, been a lot of lawn damage, and we'll talk about what to do about fixing that next week. 
Well, let me share with you my water story because we only got water when the wind blew and the windmill worked in pumping from our well. We had a 360-foot deep well on our farm, and when the wind blew, it pumped the water from that well, but when the wind didn't blow, we didn't get any of that water, and we couldn't go to Lake Michigan because we were in western Wisconsin. So, yeah, we've had our experience with wells and with water and uh, not enough water or when we'd have to depend on wind to turn that windmill to bring the water up 360 feet deep from our farm. So uh, we've certainly had our experience with water, as do people in the city. So, But it's a precious commodity. It really is. It sure is. And, you know, we can count our blessings that we don't live in those times because my grandfather was in the same way. If the wind didn't blow, he didn't have water, and he didn't have electricity. And I know you were in the same situation up there in Wisconsin. Yep, we certainly were. Well, we live in a wonderful time in a wonderful land, and we can be thankful for that. We keep finding the things to grow for our crops and for our gardens and our flowers, and then we look to you for advice. So next week, we'll talk lawns. Is that what you want to talk about? Yes, that's what we're going to do next week. It'll be time for it. Okay, that's Jim Fazell. He's our specialist in ornamental horticulture with us every week here on the Saturday Morning Show. It is 25 minutes after 5 o'clock here on the Saturday Morning Show, and the unusual summer continues with county and state fairs and outdoor farm shows and all of the other activities that we were accustomed to enjoying during the summer months not happening because of the situation with COVID-19 and the reluctance to stage the county fairs or the state fairs. I had hoped to uh, spend some time talking this morning to uh, Andy Grossetta out in Yavapai County, Arizona, because they've already held their county fair probably about a month ago that they held their Yavapai County Fair, and uh, no uh, county fair, no crowds, and uh, people not able to attend and enjoy the county fairs. And so uh, we're looking at a totally different summer season. And the farm shows, the outdoor farm shows, the uh, uh, farm shows in uh, the West particularly, and they're moving into the Midwest now. So uh, we, again, will not be able to do what we would normally do. So uh, as I keep saying, make sure you check before you go to a county or a state fair because you could show up at the fairgrounds and not enjoy a county or state fair. And that's certainly the case here in the Midwest because of all of the activity that we put together for the summer season and uh, simply can't do it this year because of the situation with the COVID-19. The uh, end of the trading week, as a matter of fact, the uh, moving into the month of August, we uh, find some uh, activity on corn futures and soybean futures, but probably in my memory, in several months or several years, 
we have not had crops as good as we're looking at this year. Jim talked a lot about the weather that has prompted the uh, growth of corn and soybean crops, particularly here in the Midwest, because I can't remember the last time that we have had good to excellent crop conditions in the Midwest corn and soybeans, such as we've had this year. We've had good rainfall, we've had sunshine, we've had heat. All of the things that corn and soybeans really like for growth during the summertime. So uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit later here on the Saturday Morning Show because we'll have our next weekly report on uh, Monday. And uh, I'm guessing that we're going to continue to see the growing weather that is going to be important to us to bring this crop onto maturity. Before you know it, we'll start worrying about frost. I hope it won't come for a while, but we've got COVID, we've got hurricanes, and we've got flooding, and uh, we've got some activity moving into the Atlantic. And so a lot to keep in mind and to be concerned about this year. And uh, on the uh, county and state fair season, we're really going to miss the activity that we have. And as I mentioned a week ago, the people who are being impacted, in addition to those of us who enjoy county and state fairs, but uh, the thing that we're going to... uh, Keep an eye on and uh, hope that the hurricanes don't come out of the uh, Gulf of Mexico or the Atlantic Ocean that uh, can, particularly if it comes out of the Gulf of Mexico, the uh, flooding that we can get and the slowdown in the uh, harvest that we can get because of the hurricane weather that will move up the uh, Gulf of Mexico and up the Mississippi River very often dampening of the crops that are waiting to be harvested. So if it isn't one thing, it's another, and uh, we'll have to keep an eye on the weather, and particularly the uh, hurricanes in the Atlantic and the typhoons in the Pacific. You name it, and we have got it going. We're at the 5.30 mark here on the Saturday morning show. And I say welcome to Samuelson Says, because I need your help in answering a couple of questions on Samuelson Says. Well, here I come again, this time asking for your help in composing this week's Samuelson Says, because I have two issues. Number one, I am hearing from people across America who say they have received in their mailbox addressed to them a packet of seeds that are coming from China or the Solomon Islands. And they are asking, what do I do with these seeds since I didn't order them? Well, the Department of Agriculture has a quick answer. Don't open the package and don't plant the seeds. Instead, get in touch with the Department of Agriculture or an agricultural college in your community and let them know you received the seeds. But I repeat, don't open the packet, don't 
plant the seeds because they could contain an invasive species that could affect and impair our crops and livestock in this country. Then number two, I am getting many questions from people that with the virtual county or state fairs, plus no livestock auctions for 4-H and FFA members, they're asking what are people doing about the auction because the auction very often helps pay for the college education for the young people. And without the county or state fairs, what is being done to reimburse these young people for their hard work? So if you have any ideas or have done something creative with your county fair or state fair auction to help these young people raise money for their college education, let me know by getting in touch with me at This Week in Agribusiness. That way I can share it with people across the country. These young people have worked hard and should be able to get some reward for their efforts to help humanity with better livestock and better crops. So let me hear from you about the seed packets and about the livestock auctions for 4-H and FFA members. Be safe, be well. My thoughts on Samuelson Says. A presentation of the Nexstar Media Group and uh, an area that we visit every week, whatever subject is coming in to impact agriculture in one way or another. And as I say, we have heard from just about every state in the union with the headline, What? to do if you get strange seeds in your mailbox from China. Something I've talked about uh, from the danger of getting invasive species that can impact negatively the livestock or crops that we uh, seem to run into every once in a while. So, as I said, the best advice you can get from the uh, Department of Agriculture here in the United States is don't open the packets of seed and don't plant the seeds. Because when people come back from foreign countries after visiting, which we're not doing much of this year, but uh, many years we have, of course, uh, planted seeds from other countries. But uh, these are strange seeds. And people in letters have said to me, what should I do? with these packets of seed how do these people get my name and my mailing address to send seeds direct to my mailbox well in this day and age of the uh, intelligence that we have with our uh, with our uh, mail that we can now find addresses from almost any part in the world that's what we have to be careful of so as i've said many times if you come back to the united states from a foreign country uh, do what they ask you to do on the airline before you land here in the united states to make sure that you don't bring food items or that you don't bring the uh, weeds and the livestock diseases that can be a part of damage to our food production here in the United States. So once again, 
Don't open the plastic packets of uh, seeds with your name on the address and uh, don't plant those seeds. Keep them from coming here into the United States. The uh, China, while we're talking about it, uh, the uh, Chinese buyers this week booked their single biggest ever purchase of U.S. corn, extending their flurry of large U.S. purchases, even as tensions are rising between Washington and Beijing. But this week, the USDA said on Thursday that private exporters sold 1,937,000 tons of corn to China for delivery in the 2020-2021 marketing year, and that topped the previous biggest deal to China of 1,762,000 tons reported just two weeks ago. So in a separate report, the USDA said soybean sales to China rose to 1,925,000 tons in the week ended July 23rd, and that is the biggest weekly total since the uh, 1 million, uh, the biggest weekly total since November 17th of 2016. But the recent purchases of uh, place uh, to China, closer to the ambitions of 36.5 billion uh, products coming to China from the United States. The corn sale reported on Thursday of this week valued at around 325 million tons uh, based on new crop prices at the U.S. Gulf. China's American farm purchases amounted to $6 billion through May. The latest data available up just 9.1% from the same period in 2019. So even though the tensions are continuing to go up on the part of trade with China, between China and the United States, they are buying. And they said they would buy, but they're still going to have to go a ways to purchase the soybeans that'll make and the corn that will make the amount that the Chinese government said it would buy. Oh, and one more time, don't open the seed packets that come with your name and address and don't plant those seeds on your farm or on your garden. 21 minutes before 6 o'clock here on the Saturday morning show. And uh, we'll be taking a little closer look at some of the market activity with Mike Pearson and his guest, uh, guest when we continue here on the Saturday morning show. So that's Mike Pearson and his guest talking about the uh, crop and about the yields. As a matter of fact, uh, the next monthly report we'll get from the USDA will come on the 12th of August. And uh, the Department of Agriculture is scheduled to release updated monthly crop production forecasts. And uh, they will currently project the average national corn yield at 178.5 bushels per acre. 
And if that is realized, it will be a record high in the corn crop so far this year. And as I said, the weather that we've been having the past month or so has been just ideal for crop production. And I'm hearing from our downstate farmers who are saying that uh, the uh, pollination season is pretty well over for the corn crop during the heat and the humidity of the uh, weather that we've been experiencing. And so let's hope that we don't get a rain out when harvest time rolls around because that can very often happen from hurricane activity out of the Atlantic and out of the Gulf. So uh, keep our fingers crossed that we're going to continue with the crop development and uh, the Brazilian crop for soybeans also is showing good crop development in the southern hemisphere. So thus far at least we're enjoying the weather for crop development and uh, may you do the same. We're at uh, 11 minutes before 6 o'clock and looking out my window in Huntley, Illinois, which is outside my studio at my home in Huntley, a beautiful sunrise coming our way this morning, and it's beginning to show its color out there in the eastern sky. So uh, it'll be another interesting, hopefully pleasant day for the crop and the weather season as we move into another beautiful day. So at uh, 11 minutes before 6 o'clock, we will check in with Max Armstrong. We have finished with our weekly crop bulletins provided by BASF, but uh, Max uh, has also spent some time this past week talking about developments not only with the crop industry, but continuing with the weather. So uh, we'll rejoin Max Armstrong after this message. I tell you what, now we're going to hear from Max Armstrong as he checks in with this report here on the Saturday Morning Show. There's a new crop, Orion, that farmers may be able to harvest from their fields in addition to the one that they are growing out there. You know, in recent years, I've said that there is an extra crop if you will, that the producers can bring in because of the data that they harvest from their fields, knowing what's going on out there. But now, according to the folks at Bayer, they intend to compensate farmers for the carbon crop, the carbon sequestration that takes place out on the fields. You might not think of that as a crop out there, but what farmers are doing environmentally, the contribution that they are making in their fields They'll be able to gain some value from it. It's called the Bayer Carbon Initiative. The program will, in fact, compensate growers who sequester carbon in their soils through the use of cover crops, which many people are already doing, and no-till practices, which many farmers have been carrying out on their fields, actually, for decades. And this would be for the 2020 and 2021 season. The company may add other carbon sequestering practices in the years ahead we hear we talked about it the other day with lisa safarian lisa is the president of north america for bayer crop science 
By the way, I think there was a storm rumbling at her home as we visited. So if you hear thunder at the background, you'll you'll know what's going on. But here's how Lisa explained it. We're super excited about this initiative that we've just launched. Essentially, it's an opportunity for farmers to be paid for the carbon that they store in their land. So what they keep from emitting and actually store it. Um, and it gives them the opportunity to participate in the carbon market. And really, the way they can participate is through the use of no-till and cover crops. Um, they can enroll anywhere from 10 acres to as many acres as they'd like to enroll that are eligible. Um, we'll pay them either cash or money for bare product, uh, whichever they uh, prefer. And uh, it's early days. We've just started enrolling farmers, but we are really incredibly excited about this opportunity for them. There's been talk for so long about the value that growers bring through carbon sequestration and they hope that somehow that value could be captured and now there will be compensation. That's absolutely right. And if you think about it, farmers are the very best stewards of the land. And every day when they make choices to use no-till and cover crops, they are sequestering that carbon and storing it. And we felt it was just appropriate for them to be able to be paid for that as you know and to participate in this market so we're very excited to be able to offer that opportunity why is bayer specifically interested in this lisa you know um at some point we'd like to have a business model uh through this but the fact is what we know is um through the innovations we brought to farmers through the years um if it's something that farmers value and that they do well with then we know that over time bear will do well too and so it really is a focus on our innovative nature to continue to bring more solutions for farmers. Am I correct? There have been some pilot projects already. If so, what can you tell us? Um, this is our first pilot, and we're piloting in the U.S. and in Brazil, and we're just kicking it off for the 2021 season. Um, it's appropriate to announce it now, so as farmers start thinking about what cover crops they would use this fall and what kind of tillage they would use uh, in this next year, we wanted to make sure that they had every opportunity to participate if they desired to do so. What else should we know about it? We're excited to be able to bring this program to farmers. We think we can do it in a very easy, simple way that allows them to participate in this marketplace and to, to receive credit for those uh, practices that they already do as they steward the land. So it's a really exciting time to be able to bring farmers into this market, and uh, we hope to do so quickly and, and very easily on their part. It's not just a much-needed recognition of that contribution that the farmers are making, but it is valuing it and adding value to their production now, then, if, if uh, this comes to pass. Absolutely. It's another revenue stream. And again, we feel like uh, with farmers being the best stewards and doing this anyway, they should be allowed to participate in this market and gain financially. Lisa Safarian, as you heard her say, farmers who want to participate in that pilot program will be required to commit a minimum of 10 acres, but there's no acreage cap. Now, along with that minimum acreage requirement, farmers will need to enroll in the company's climate field view platform which enables collection of the data that will be used for the calculation of the carbon sequestration. And though Bayer will evaluate the amount of carbon sequestered, farmers will be compensated based on the number of acres that they commit to the program. And Bayer underscores that farmers will retain the ownership of their data and control who they choose to share that data with. 
Again, Lisa Safarian's comments there. As the thunderstorm rolled to the background, Orion, just wanted to share the visit with you this morning about this uh, pilot program, including some 1,200 farmers all together. Now, that's not just in the United States, but in Brazil as well. And our thanks to Max Armstrong for that special report on maybe another source of income because of their program with the uh, growing of crops here in the United States. And once again, we're enjoying the sunrise and... uh, that's about our time here my thanks to bob ferguson who does the engineering my thanks to you for joining us every week here on the saturday morning show